0: Flash Gordon approaching. What do you mean, Flash Gordon approaching? Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the laughter. (laughs) The heroes.
1: Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Go, Ghostbusters.
0: And the honesty. What's up, man? My nipples, it's freezing out there. (laughs) Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Sure, it's not 1985 right now, but who knows what tomorrow will bring. Brad, I'm so bored. What plaything can you offer me today?
1: A science fiction movie in the 80s system. The inhabitants call it Flash.
0: Mmm, how colorful it looks. Let's have a little fun. What does this button do?
1: No, no, not that one, Your Majesty. Uh, this one. Most effective, your podcastership, sir. Will you destroy this flash?
0: Perhaps later, after the seggies. <laughs> Welcome to Stuck in the Eighties, it's your host Spearsy the Merciless. And Brad and Mongo. And today we honor the movie Flash Gordon on its 40th anniversary.
1: Gordon's Alive. Stuck in the Eighties is now listener supported via Patreon. Join us for VIP Zoom happy hours and more. When you join at patreon.com/slash stuck in the eighties podcast.
0: Hey everyone, can you believe there's a universe where suppressed factions can be reawakened and reunited to overthrow a tyrannical dictator to the delight of all mankind? Well, you know, mankind and lizardkind. Hold, lizard man! Escape is impossible. <laughs>
1: um, I thought we said no politics on the podcast, Steve.
0: I'm not! I'm talking about Flash Gordon. Flash Gordon. Quarterback, New York Jets. Whew.
1: Well, I could just see the hot hail that would show up on our doorstep if we dared to express any personal political beliefs on the show.
0: Live and let live. That's my motto. It's amazing to me that we've had a podcast for 15 years and counting now, and we've yet to do a show on the movie Flash Gordon. Which probably appeared on HBO five times a day during our formative years, Brad.
1: Uh, oh, yeah. And I think I watched it at least four times of those days. And I, every time I was sure, like, I'm sure I just missed the scene where Princess
0: Aura was topless. I'm sure it's going to happen. I just need to watch it one more time. The, the best thing about being young in the 80s and having HBO would be like a double feature of Flash Gordon and then blame it on Rio. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, my God. This girl's really turning me on. All we need to do is find uh, Dr. Hans Zarkoff and his rocket ship, and we'll get things started. But first, I think we we need a little background on the origins of Flash Gordon.
1: This may be surprising to you, 80s Nation, but Flash Gordon was not invented out of whole cloth for the 1980 movie. Uh, Originally, it was a comic strip, a weekly comic strip that was drawn by Alex Raymond in the mid-30s. It was first published on January 7th, 1934, and it was inspired by, or perhaps more aptly put, created to compete with the already established Buck Rogers strip. That much I know. Tell me what I don't know. In the comic strip, the characters pretty much are the same as what you see in the movie, with one slight difference. The backstory for Flash in the original comic strip was that he was a polo player, not a football player. Do we know any polo players today? Is that even a thing? I Pr- guess Prince, Prince Charles. Charles. Yeah, and <laughs> and Copeland, right? <laughs> I want to go just a little bit deeper, though, because when I saw this movie again, it reminded me very much of a series of books I read maybe 10 years ago, the Edgar Rice Burroughs uh, John Carter series, which is very comic strip-like, very pulpy fiction and has a lot of the same... Kind of touches in that a man from Earth shows up on you know in this case Mars and unites the tribes of Mars, uh, but those books were published in the nineteen, in the nineteen tens. How do you say that? The nineteen.
0: I have no yeah, idea. The, 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 tweens, the
1: long time remember. ago, uh, nineteen. They were serialized in nineteen twelve, but it was published as a book in nineteen seventeen. The first book. So I think both Flash and Buck Rogers took some notes from that Edgar Rice Burroughs series.
0: I think it's weird that Buck Rogers – so Buck Rogers kind of inspires the idea to, hey, we need a competing thing, Flash Gordon. And then fast forward to 1980s, that was exactly the time that the Buck Rogers TV show started up again with uh, Gil Gerard. So – and if you really want to think about it, if you compare the costumes – and some, a little bit of the hokiness of, of they, they both kind of match up with there's Buck a, Rogers and
1: Flash Gordon. Yeah, there's a there's a kind of a retro, retro futurist kind of look. The strip was had been adapted into movie serials before. 1936's Flash Gordon, 1938's Flash Gordon's Trip to Mars, and 1940's Flash Gordon conquers the universe. So basically sounds like he becomes the new Ming. Maybe he's merciful, though. And there was also a late 70s, 1979 uh, animated TV series. It was on Saturday mornings. And as part of our research for this show, I watched an episode of this television program. And while I don't remember watching it, I totally remember the music from it. (laughs) Honestly, I was kind of pulled into it. Maybe it's because it was a quiet week at work, but I watched a couple episodes the other day, and I'm like, "Oh, this isn't bad." Flash Gordon is the is the quipster in this one. He drops in the little jokes, like,
0: yeah. <laughs> "If we've got to go, why not go in style?"
1: It, it's, it's pretty. <laughs> it's pretty funny. But uh,
0: I, I saw I saw the episodes you sent me. They, they, they look like. Um super friends but in outer space yeah it's
1: film it's a filmation uh, and filmation well, we don't want to go too far upfield here but filmation did a lot of rotoscoping and things so it was a
0: little more technology a little
1: more care was taken in making those cartoons than maybe you see today it's just a different look but yeah. anyway uh, back to the original Alex Raymond is cited as an inspiration for a lot of a lot of artists uh, Jack Kirby Bob Kane uh, Russ Manning Al Williamson and As we're going to talk about in a minute, George Lucas also cited Raymond as a major influence on Star Wars. a little
0: short for Stormtrooper? Huh? Oh, the uniform. Which kind of takes us to the movie version of it. So, as it turns out, uh, speaking of famous movie minds, Dino De Laurentiis, who's the producer of Flash Gordon, was a huge fan of sci-fi, and he had an interest in making a Flash Gordon film dating back to the 60s. Huh. Well, as these... Projects go as these, you know, in Hollywood, they never flesh out as quickly as you right. want
1: them to. You get the rights, and then you're trying to get a script and exactly bring things up. And-
0: sure. Well, one of the people who was interested in making a, a movie like that too was George Lucas, and George Lucas and uh, Dino talked, decided that it wasn't going to work with the two of them. So George goes off and makes this little-known movie called Star Wars, hmm. while Dina De Laurentiis hires. Mike Hodges, eventually, is the guy who gets cast to be the director of Flash Gordon. If you don't know his name, it's not entirely surprising. He did a couple of 70s projects, Get Carter, the Terminal Man. Not the hugest name. You know, obviously, George Lucas would have been a nice one. right? Um, He hires a guy to write the script called Lorenzo Semble Jr., who had previously worked with De Laurentiis on King Kong. Okay. So here's where the problems kind of start. (laughs) Lorenzo looks at this project and says, I I see a campy take on Flash Gordon. He writes a script and he's sure, Lorenzo is sure that Dino's going to kick it back and say, You know, I I admire your first draft, but, you know, we have some tweaks to do. That's not what happens. (laughs) Dino says, Okay, let's go. And so yeah. we plunge forward into making a movie where the producer has one vision of it, and the screenwriter has another, and God only knows what Mike Hodges is bringing as the the third person in this team.
1: Yeah. I think it's worth noting that, that Semple also developed the 60s Batman series. And yes. And when I heard that, oh, you know, the tumblers start to click into place a little bit. Yeah. Like, okay, that's where he was coming from.
0: Right. Here's the task facing them. So you have Sembel, De Laurentiis, and Hodges. Hodges. Hodges for a cop. Hodges. Call Hodges. You? I'm putting you back on the street. Don't let me down. They have to make a superhero slash sci-fi film at a time when Star Wars, Superman, Superband Two, are setting the bar pretty high. While at the same time. Not alienating the generation of fans who loved the purity, the innocence Is is that a word? innocence (laughs) Let's let's say it is. Why not? (laughs) Of the original comic strip. So, okay. We're going in all sorts of directions. But eventually they come up with a plot. Brad, what's the plot?
1: I think I can summarize this in a short sentence. This is my elevator pitch for Flash Gordon. A sequined robe wizard tries to rule the universe and is beaten by a New York Jets quarterback, marking the last significant win by any Jets quarterback. <laughs> or, if you want to be more succinct, a New York Jets quarterback wins something. That's science fiction, boys and girls. That is science
0: fiction. If you go on Amazon Prime right now and you search for Flash Gordon, you, first of all, you can rent the movie from 1980, which but- you should absolutely do. Oh my gosh, it looks amazing. It does. But it also shows, I think, a 1937 Flash Gordon movie. I think it's called Flash Gordon and his rocket ship. where it's <laughs> Which is not what much, you expect. <laughs> yeah. It is exactly the same plot as the 1980 movie. Oh. As if, like, Brad and I had gotten hopped up on um, sangria all day. And then went into his garage and made like a little set and like got captured the little lizard and let him run around and 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 set firecrackers off for explosions. I glued that's googly eyes to them and <laughs> they
1: look so scary. Yeah.
0: That you can do too, which is a, an amazing way to spend the afternoon.
1: I mean, that's it's a pretty straightforward plot. You would think that this would be a slam dunk to execute,
0: and it should have been. First of all, they had an amazing cast. They had Max von Sydow oh. as. Emperor Ming, Topol as uh, Hans Zarkoff, Timothy Dalton, Timothy effing Dalton as Prince Baron. Of course, I don't think any of us really we knew. We didn't
1: know who he was at the time. But. No, no.
0: Tell me more about this man Houdini. And I know people don't like him as 007, but I do.
1: No, I, he's he's perfectly serviceable
0: as 007. Those are two of my favorite Bond movies. We've nothing to declare!
1: That's That's
0: Peter Weingart <laughs> as uh, General Clytus. Brian Blessed. The British stage legend oh. as Prince Voltan. Oh <laughs> <It's> so good. <laughs> Everyone's so very hairy, yeah. uh, especially Brian Brust. Well, it was it, the I end see. of the 70s. You know, yeah, I know.
1: The mustache still played. <laughs> it
0: did. And then Kenny Baker, a.k.a. R2-D2, was even in there as one of the dwarves. Oh, nice. And we, we could go on and on. I mean, there, there are some interesting casting decisions. I mean, Peter in there.
1: Weingard. you think about his, his part. You never see him. You barely see his mouth. So, I mean, it's almost like a Mandalorian thing where, like, how does he emote? It's all with his voice.
0: It works. Yeah, you know, and he's great. Oh, he's fantastic. And he's always smelling this lacy thing that we're pretty sure is uh, the Emperor's daughter's undergarments. Cast but off. That's, 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 that's not something that at 13 years old we were meant to pick up I wasn't up on connecting her. with that
1: at the point. I was just waiting for her to show up I in did. the right sort of scene.
0: Yeah, I just, I always just remember my dad chuckling at certain scenes that I didn't (laughs) quit.
1: Oh, the conspiracy. Someday, my boy. (laughs)
0: Someday you'll have hair all over, too. And we could talk a whole podcast about this, but we're not. It had the music, it had the music of Queen. And you could say that Tommy was the first rock opera movie, but Flash Gordon was the first one of our generation that, that featured a hardcore kind of rock. Well,
1: that was front and center, you know, so much. Right,
0: yeah. The The soundtrack was released as a separate album. It had 18 tracks. Almost every one of them was written by a member of the band. Uh, Brian May wrote the main theme. Freddie Mercury wrote some of it as well. Some some of the more spacey uh, Yeah, it's him singing.
1: A- <laughs> I was sure that was a theremin or something, but no, I mean, Freddie Mercury, but, uh, what a, what a it man. Did,
0: it did chart fairly well, I think, for the most part... Anyone who listens to this podcast pretty much has the the main theme song burned into your
1: brain by now. Why do you say that, bump,.: bum, 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 bum.
0: Is there anything more um, therapeutic than when you start hearing it, and you just go, "Flash, boom!"
1: Ah. Well, and, you know, we talk about this being a superhero, but I feel like the main theme kind of belies that it's just a man with a man's courage. I love
0: that section of that break in the song. It's just like,
1: "Oh, he's just a man, Steve. He's just a man."
0: But uh, t- to be honest, I don't I, I don't like superhero movies. I never really have. The only ones that I can sort of get behind are ones where that like Flash Gordon or Batman where he he's not he doesn't have any superpowers. He's just he's just Batman a, has a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a superpower in and of itself. And
1: Flash Gordon apparently is a, a great uh, motivator. So, or maybe yeah. he's just a man of the hour, and you know, cometh the man, cometh the hour. I don't know. Where you go, I follow.
0: Listen to me. Listen. There is something finer in this galaxy than Ming's law. Now, now we've gotten deep.
1: Now, see, see, you <laughs> tune into stuck in the eighties. You're going to get some thinking done. Yeah, you're I thinking, that's...
0: why am I listening to these idiots? <laughs> Yeah, so you'd think that with all these advantages, this movie would have been like a home run. But it had some challenges too, right, Brad? Oh, yeah, it's it did. Normally, this is not a problem, but the
1: the movie is just it. It's too close to the source. The rockets and the space sleds, you know, they seem like such futuristic stuff in the 1930s. But when you look at them now, they're, I mean now i look at it and i'm like that's actually really cool but these art deco spaceships cast against what we saw you know 3 years earlier in star wars like wait what hold on a second you know it just we, we've moved to a different place and so uh, that's actually that's something i wanted to talk about the artwork watch the opening credit sequence there's a lot of alex raymond's art that comes through from the original comic strips, and if yeah. you if you notice that when you're watching the credits, because I know you're going to watch the movie now, because your Uncle Steve and Uncle Brad are advising it strongly, a lot of the sensibility for the set design and the costumes and the color palette is all in those strips, and right. I I think that that actually is kind of a problem. We you know we hadn't gotten to the point where they made Dick Tracy, and it was a big deal that they only used you know seven colors in the whole movie, uh, you know, because they wanted it to look like a look like a comic strip. Stuff that just seemed so cutting edge for a 1930s comic strip is a thing that you know you would have drawn in second grade with crayons, right? Turned in for you know very nice and got a pat on the head and you put it (laughs) on your refrigerator.
0: Yeah, Yeah, the the trouble is that after Star Wars and you have land speeders and TIE fighters, and yeah, you know, now you have a space sled that looks like a treadmill. Yeah, I mean, you've gone from you've gone from (laughs) Okay, forgive
1: me for using this word. You've gone from gritty realism of space travel. Yes, I know, I know. But then against this, you know, I'll say it again, these Art Deco spaceships that look really cool. Like if you had a drink shaker that was in the shape of War Rocket Ajax, oh my gosh, that'd be the coolest thing in your house. But a spaceship?
0: Come on. Can I just say how much I love the the, the term War Rocket Ajax? I mean, it should be the name of a U-2 tour, you know, it should be a band name. Seriously, let's start a band, Steve. Oh God, we can rehearse yeah, in my thinking. garage when you know when Katie's away. I keep thinking about getting that the the drum set, the electronic drum set, but I haven't pulled the trigger on that. <laughs> <Just laughs> start my Journey tri- tribute band or something like that. But Every um, song is Wipeout to Spearsy. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Wipeout, Sam Jones. Uh, yeah, is. Is cast as Flash Gordon. He's relatively a new actor. Do you remember what you first saw him in? Because I remember what I first saw him in.
1: Uh, I think he's in ten, isn't he? He's in ten. Another HBO a, staple.
0: Yeah, as Bo Derek's groom. So you see him, you know, at the wedding, and you see him at the at the honeymoon. Yeah, I don't know how many lines he has, but he's a handsome man. He, he performs admirably. He has the perfect amount of innocence and heroism for this role. Uh, was he perfectly set up to to work alongside so many acting legends? Well, you know, everyone has their first, right. you know. You know, sometimes, sometimes that,
1: uh, naivete may be the wrong word, but sometimes that works for you because you don't know you should be cowed by being in a set going toe-to-toe with Max von Sydow.
0: Right. Here's where Brad and I kind of figured out what some of the problems were. It turns out that if you also go on Amazon Prime and you search for Flash. Yeah, we
1: have to talk about this.
0: There's a movie called Life After Flash, and it's a documentary about Flash Gordon, and it's mainly centered around Sam Jones. Right, and it's fantastic. I think you watched it before I did, and then I got sucked into watching it, and it's just—I really like I enjoy crying. it. I was really crying. I was enjoy crying it. at the end.
1: It's what they call tears. It's a sign of their weakness. Yeah, well, the first, the, kind of the first half of it is is kind of your, your basic DVD making of featurette where they talk to a lot of the actors and they talk about the, you know, like Brian Blessed's talking about, oh, yeah, you couldn't sit down with those dang wings on. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I never thought about that. So the Hawkmen, when they weren't shooting, would just lay down on their stomachs <laughs> like Superman. Ton of great stories and it gives you th- some things to look for when you see the movie again. But then the second half is really focused on Sam Jones and... As it turns out, I didn't realize this, uh, He, I think he suffered from having bad representation. Uh, and these people are never really identified, but he left the production at the Christmas holidays to go home, and then he just his representation said, don't go back. And so he didn't. And the production wasn't finished.
0: So what we find out from that, then, is that many of his lines had to be redubbed by another actor, which... Good work by them because I can't tell.
1: Yeah, I can't either. You have to really pay attention to see it. That just blew my mind a little bit, but it also, like, oh, well, that's what happened to Sam Jones. You know, if yeah. you you pull a stunt like that and you're a relatively unknown actor, you're going to earn the difficult tag right away. Right. Whether he left, he left before it was done. Um, you know. Right okay, I'm not, you know, it's, it's suddenly it, it, you kind of understand why he kind of slipped into the shadows for a while. But yeah. the, the documentary is definitely worth watching. Again, one of the things I, I found most interesting in it was Max von Sydow, I guess, was having some trouble trying to figure out like, what's, what's my role? How do, I, how do I play this? And one of the other cast members said to him, you know, Max, you're a wizard. You're a magician. Magicians use their hands. I heard that, and then I watched the movie again, and he does. Watch his hands. Watch his hands, and he's it, it, like, it sets the tone for the whole character. It's kind of amazing yeah. that it's something that simple.
0: Yeah. There's there's another good source that we use to get some background, and there's a book that just came out. It's called Flash Gordon, the Official Story of the Film. It came out in, on November 30th by John Walsh. My co-host got it for me as a Christmas present. What so a nice I, I got, guy. He is. Wow. Someday, someday I'll thank him by sending him a... Uh, <laughs> a joust Christmas ornament for his tree. fine exchange. If you really want to dive deep on this movie, absolutely watch the documentary on Amazon Prime because it's free right now. But, but also consider the book. because it, it's, First of all, it's a beautiful book full of amazing photos, but just this it really dives deep on some of the trivia and a lot of interviews with everybody who is critical to the movie. What is your name?
1: Hans Zarkov. Agent Zarkov. Number double three of the Imperial Anti-Insurgent
0: Espionage Group. Hail, Wink! Good. Speaking of critical, can we answer this once and for all? Sure. Is Flash Gordon camp or not? I do not think this is camp.
1: I think for it to be camp, somebody has to wink at the camera at some point. Like, that's kind of my, I just made it up, definition. I feel like, Everybody in this, I mean, Timothy Dalton's a great example. He's completely serious. He is like in for nickel, in for a dime. Lying bitch. And and the same thing with Brian Blessed. No, never is he like, oh, I can't believe I got these stupid wings glued to my shoulders. You know, they play it so straight that I don't think it's camp.
0: I think it's unintentional camp. Again, I, I think this is a situation where the director, the screen writer and the producer were not on the same page and so what what you get is unintentional camp i will say this too superman 2 all the superman movies are very camp superman 2 is considered like untouchable but go back and watch it again it's it's pretty camp nobody gives it grief for that nobody says superman 2 is you're right but the difference is because it's set you know, it's on set Earth. in a world
1: we recognize. Yeah, he goes right. to a diner, and you're like, "Oh yeah, that's a diner." I've, I've been right. to a There's diner. There's no space I've, lads. I've, I've not ever <laughs> had to stick my arm into a big log and try not to get stung by some weird scorpion to prove I'm a yeah. man. I am now of age, Greenfather. I ask for the test of manhood. Choose your passage into this world or the next. May Arbor
0: guide you. I love initiation. If you watch the documentary, Brian Blessed has a great line about this. He says, quote, it's not camp, it's comic strip. And I think that nails it.
1: Yeah. And there's another one of those moments in the documentary when you hear that and you're like, oh, right. When you watch this, look at it through that lens of a serialized comic strip. Right. And Try not to think of it as. Again, the tumblers just fall into place. Yeah. It kind of isn't. Yeah, it's more melodrama, really.
0: Boy, have I got some crazy stories to tell you.
1: Save them for our kids.
0: Oh, I accept. Enough! Would you leave us alone? Oh, I just got engaged! So here's what happens. The movie comes out, hits theaters, reasonably successful in England and Italy... Of all places, thanks to having two Italian actresses. Well, and Dino De Laurentiis. Yes, of course. Uh, Most careers weren't harmed in the process. I mean, Timothy Dalton does go on to become James Bond. Max von Sydow, as we'll talk (laughs) about shortly, his career continues to go through the roof. Sam Jones, he's the one who probably suffers the most. His career after the movie dips. But he does recover, and he stars in The Highwayman on TV. Uh, And if you look at him on IMTB, he has worked pretty regularly, solidly, straight from 1980 all the way through today.
1: Yeah, and and he see again when you watch the documentary, this is not one of those where you know he ends up in you know on Skid Row or something. He is such a positive person through all of this, and is seems to be in a very good place.
0: Yeah. The documentary will go into a lot of detail on his upbringing. Yeah, that'll that'll kind of explain it. But I don't want to get too deep into that. The movie comes out. The critics get their hands on it. Roger Ebert, who we love to quote on the show, says uh, Flash Gordon was, quote, True to the tacky pop origins of the Flash Gordon comic strip and the serial starring Buster Crab. At a time when Star Wars and its spin-offs have inspired special effects men t- to burst a gut, making their interplanetary adventures look real, Flash Gordon is cheerfully willing to look as phony as it is, unquote. Uh,
1: Roger Ebert, you are so pretentious. <laughs> Tacky pop hey. origins. Ugh, come on, dude. Tacky pop origins. I don't know. I kind, of, I,
0: kind of, I kind of agree with him. I, I, I've I think,
1: always. I, I think the word tacky is what set me off. Like, oh, it's uh, pop, so it must be tacky.
0: It, it, and not everything's
1: Hamlet, okay?
0: I know, but I think that's an ebertism to, to go a little further. Uh, yeah. Then no, I I know. Then I know. then you and I would go. That's that's why people quote him and and not us. Like twelve <laughs> people still listening to the show at this point. Uh, actor Brian Blessed, Prince Voltan, he can't walk down the street without someone coming up to him and saying, "Gordon's alive." Gordon's alive. Yeah, and that that line comes in a place when it happens in the movie. It
1: surprised me. I'm like, wait, I wasn't expecting that for a little bit.
0: I always confuse it sometimes with uh, the. Captain Kirk, you know, Kirk, my old friend, you're still alive? (laughs) And the movie has achieved cult status. It plays at movie festivals. I don't know how many times I've seen it at art house theaters over the years. Yeah. Of course, Sam Jones comes back to play himself and Flash Gordon during both the Ted movies. (laughs) So funny. Everybody involved with the movie, even some of the the most bit characters, still are able to squeak out a decent paycheck by going and doing all the Comic-Cons. Doing doing
1: Comic-Cons back when we were allowed to gather
0: even the uh the guy in arborea yeah who gets his hand stung and has to be slaughtered he still goes to comic cons with that little tree slug yeah he has the prop you, you gotta watch the, this
1: documentary you gotta watch it, really it. Is it's fun. amazing and,
0: and but i mean this guy who has like he's in the movie for 45 seconds still can make some please money
1: send that. me on my way send me on my way Spam me the madness <laughs> so i'm gonna feel at the end of the show there's a never-ending reverence for this movie. It came out in a kind of a perfect time for superhero movie. It's before they were completely commonplace. It brought back this comic strip classic into the public eye. Energized older fans who had not really had a chance to even talk or think about Flash Gordon. Sci-fi lends itself to escapism, right? But it also lends itself to celebrating the positive things in film and in life itself. And Flash... He is a character, a hero that we can all see good in, right? He is a man who shows up, sees an injustice, convinces people to join his cause and fight that injustice.
0: How could you not be happy yeah. with that? There's only one thing I could be happier with. The, the segues. Segues. What's happening, hot stuff? Ah, by the sound of the gong, it must be time for Mystery Movie Moment. We will play a snippet of a movie from the 80s. If you get it right, you are entered into a drawing for a postal-friendly bottle opener. Whew, feels good to say that again. (sighs) It's been a while.
1: Yeah, a week.
0: (laughs) Well, I don't know. That's still a while, you know. It's just this time of year, it just gets so... Time starts to to bend on top of itself. Yeah. Soon there'll be folding space.
1: Get the guild navigator in here and we'll get
0: ourselves to Caladan. That would be nice. Anyway, pay attention. Here was the clip from the last time we did this, Seggy.
1: And you you acquired all this by yourselves. Well, it was a good day, Mr.
0: Hood. Jolly good
1: day.
0: Yep, that's Time Bandits. Back from an era when we were still thinking about doing a show on Sean Connery.
1: Yeah, Uh. yeah. I didn't use the Connery clip. I went with the John Cleese clip. there's so many good ones in that.
0: I, I watched this again. I think we talked about this within the last few weeks, uh, certainly within a few weeks of, of Connery passing. And I was just, it's still really hard for me to watch. Oh yeah. So, yeah. So I
1: just, one of our, one of the winners actually wrote in and said, you know, this is one of my favorite movies. I was so excited to show it to my kids and they
0: hated it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. There's just some things that just of our, their time. So, yeah, uh, we had some winners. We had a lot of winners. Indeed, we did. We didn't
1: fool anybody. No. No. All these people have email and brains. And the winners this week include New Wave Todd, Michael Runyon, Lou Sweet Lou Greeley, Brock in North Dakota, David and Adina, Dan Venomvay, Chuck Coverley, Kevin Serving Wench, Michelle D, Tom Corn in Austria, Max Headlong, Tracy Dury, James Laidlaw, Kurt aka Goose Nick Bradshaw in Seattle... Gypsy Juggler, Kyle K. in Arkansas, Soapman99, Buck from Wally World, Dr. Sean Mark Bovee, and Mike Wally Walters.
0: Pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. Nobody, not even the rain, has such small hands. If you know it, email us at podcast at and <laughs> tune in soon to find out if you're a winner. <laughs> Ah, The mystical refrain that is name that 80s tune. We will play a piece of a song from the 80s. If you can guess the artist and the title, you are entered into the drawing for the aforementioned, um, post-friendly friendly bottle, bottle opener. I don't really drink anything that involves a bottle opener anymore.
1: No, um, so no, maybe you could switch to hard cider.
0: Oh, no, it has the same effect on me as beer does. Oh, okay.
1: Well, maybe you could switch to sparkling water. No, that has a screw top.
0: (laughs) Anyway, I I, I have one. I have it downstairs. It's nice. It's lovely. (laughs) Anyway, pay attention. Here was the clip from the last time. That's Robert Palmer. I didn't mean to turn you on.
1: Steve I don't know if you remember this clip was in the show we did recently on covers and a lot of people pointed out oh I see you used a cover for your name that 80s tune oh, and I'm like you know what I'd smart. really like to take credit for thinking that far ahead but that's not really you what didn't. happened No, just this <laughs> complete happenstance but thank you for thinking that I was capable of you know synthesizing all that data into one delightful song choice
0: you give us way too much credit yeah uh, we had some winners. We had a lot of winners. In fact, this is one of those oh my shows gosh. where I'm really glad that I don't have to say anything else.
1: Yeah, this could take a while. So, you know, maybe put your playback device on 4X so you can get through this in less than an hour. You ready, Steve? Here we go. Here we go. Winners this week include... Should I try and do this in one breath? Let's see how fast I can get through these.
0: We could do every other one. You could say one. No, I I'm going to do it. One. I'm going to do it. Here we go. Ready? <laughs> I'm going to dig deep. I'm going to get it done.
1: Here we go. Winners this week include... <gasps> Crispy Critter, Peter Ryan, Jason in Memphis, Debbie H, New Wave Todd, Gina Gilroy, David Peterson, Cincinnati Joe, Ann McNally, Richard the Big Bunny, John Ross, Donnie Gettle rhymes with Sherelle cover, Alan Titus, Dave Estelle Tommy Dusat in Boston, Dan Venom Fay Chuck Coverley, Kevin Pipe Wench, Martin the Irish Evertonian, Chris the 80s Queen, Max Headlong, Deborah Rx, Gator Phillips, James Laidlaw, Kirk aka Goose, Nick Bradshaw in Seattle, Greg in Kissimmee, Kyle K in Arkansas, Terry Kemp, Dave Horn, Soapman99, Chuck Whaley, Eric Selene, Alejandro Stix, Cardoso Solis from Tijuana, Mexico. Cliff Hawkins from somewhere north of Detroit. Rob Jones and Doctor Jean Marc Bovier.
0: How many breaths? I, I, I counted a couple. Uh, in there, I took like, a couple half really, breaths. Yeah, yeah. You're really good at that. Well, You've got you skills. know, you, 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 you could be a good podcaster someday if, you keep it up. <laughs> if I keep if I work at it. Yeah, you
1: play a wind instrument for long enough, you learn how to sneak a breath here and there.
0: Uh, play drum long enough, you just learn to sit there and sweat. <laughs> That's the differences between you and me. Well, that's one of the differences. That and you're like six feet taller than I am. <laughs> yes, you're four inches tall, Steve. <laughs> I feel like it some days. Ooh, look. I haven't been uh, Eeyore in a while, so that's interesting. I wonder where that came from. I don't know what that's all about. Oh, happy it's all to those names. About. It's a lot of names, you know. It's a lot of names. And I, plus, I know what we're going to talk about next, and so I'm trying to steal trying yourself. To, I'm, I'm trying to, yeah. So I don't want to cry too much. So, anyway. Why don't you let me since you're out of breath spin the wheel since I don't really get to do it very often. Yeah, I want to spin it up. A There's a lot of names on there. It's going to be heavy, so
1: stretch a little first. There you go.
0: I didn't drink anything today, so that's not that's going to help or not help. I don't. Uh, ready? I don't know why I'm stretching my hamstrings right now. Well, I mean, you I know, really all does. that strength comes from your core, <laughs> so, you know. I, you- I don't have any core. Let's face it. Anyway, here we go. Ooh. I felt a little tingly on my side when I did that. That's right. not good, right? Hawkman would
1: be impressed.
0: Uh, the uh, I, I would be anybody really in Flash Gordon since the wheel is still turning, except for the Lizard Man, which they never seem to. They don't get uh, to, get to talk. <laughs> you, <laughs> you know that just a get vaporized rubbery
1: or... suit. This poor bastard. It's like you be the Lizard Man today. The stuntmen are like, oh no, I'm not getting back in that thing. Oh, we could come smell like a uh, swamp.
0: We could come as lizard men for the next cruise for Pop Icon night. Yeah, we um, kind of Very warm. Yes. Anyway, the wheel is finally coming to an end, and it's going to land on Soap Man ninety nine. Excellent, Soap Man. Send us your uh, postal address via email, and we'll get a postal friendly bottle opener out to you.
1: And in the words of Motorhead, "Stay clean."
0: <laughs> Pay attention. Here's this week's mystery tune. <laughs> If you know it, email us at podcast at and tune in soon to find out if you're a winner. We will be right back after this commercial break.
1: Join us for the fantastic adventures of Flash Gordon. Having been taken prisoner by an ally of Ming the Merciless, Flash escapes only to face the gauntlet of the swamp.
0: Leave him! He's mine! I hunt him alone. And will Flash survive?
1: Find out now at a theater near you. Music by Queen. Rated PG.
0: And we're back. And as I said before, I I don't want to bring things down, but one thing occurred to to Brad and I as we were prepping the show, and we were looking at the background of the actors and what they've been up to. I don't think we realized that we had lost Max von Sydow in 2020. I did not. Ming the Merciless. I feel awful for not saying anything about it before, but it happened while we were on the 80s cruise. And by the time we returned, the world had pretty much gone south, you know, thanks to (laughs) the moon being forced to crash into the planet. It was the hot hail that did it. Yeah. But we wanted to take time out here to recognize what an amazing actor he was throughout his career, but particularly, of course, in the 80s. Every once in a while, I sit around and I, I think, you know, who's on my bucket list to interview? Like, I would really just love to sit down and have a com- – not even necessarily record it or have it be a show, but just have a conversation have with a, him.
1: Have a beer kind of – yeah, sit down and have a drink with him.
0: Max Fonsad has always been high on my list. I'd- he had more than 30 acting credits in the 80s. 30. 30? Whoa. 30.
1: I mean, you know, it's funny because Michael Caine gets crap for, like, he's in everything, but no one would ever say that about Max von Sydow.
0: No, no. He would just give you that stare if you did, or he would probably give you some sort of a chuckle.
1: Or he'd use that ring on you, and you'd, like, (laughs) start responding to it in a way that was totally inappropriate.
0: Obviously, Flash Gordon in 1980, but um, one of my favorite movies that we never talk about, every once in a while I stick it in there, Victory, the soccer movie. Yep. It's based in World War II. He also plays known as uh, he's to one victory. of the major characters. Yeah, yeah, Escape to Victory. He's Major Karl von Steiner. He's the German uh, officer who organizes the game. He's in Conan the Barbarian. He's King Osric in uh, Conan the Barbarian.
1: I'd forgotten that. I love yeah. that movie.
0: Small, small role, but yeah, great but it's movie. important. Oh God, such a good movie. Strange Brew.
1: <laughs> I'd forgotten about that too.
0: Oh, Brewmeister oh, Smith.
1: I, I that's one of those movies that I bought the DVD and it's sitting in its case. Like I've had yeah. that, I've had that DVD for like ten years and I can't I can't think <laughs> of a time that I would think
0: you know what I think tonight I'll watch Strange Brew. Oh God, you know I might actually tonight come to think of it uh, because it won't be one of the next two movies. <laughs> yeah, uh, Dreamscape, which we don't we don't name check very often, but it's a great movie. He's uh, Doctor Novotny. Uh, that's the one with uh, Dennis Quaid, right? And the snake, which was a little too realistic for me. But uh, if you've never seen Dreamscape, it's worth watching. Dune, Mm -hmm. one of your movies. Oh, so, so, so deliciously crazy. I can't even say it's good. It's
1: just, it's definitely guilty pleasure at this point.
0: He has a great, it's a great character. Yeah. There's a movie from 1985 that I don't think anyone besides me saw. Called Codename Emerald. And I think it has has different names in different countries. Okay. But it has um, Eric Stoltz and it has Ed Harris. And it's a World War II kind of spy movie set around the Normandy landings. Okay. And it's incredibly watchable. Not a thriller. Just I don't know how to describe it. But if you ever get a chance to see it. You, the only reason I know it so well is because that was the year that I worked at the video store that summer. Okay. Okay. And so you got to know your collection pretty well. And I remember watching Codename Emerald like a hundred times. He's the voice of Vigo in uh, Ghostbusters 2.
1: Well, you know, everyone needs groceries.
0: And, but but the big one I think that most people remember, he's Frederick in Hannah and Her Sisters. He has that great line that's still burned in my brain. It's been ages since I sat in front of the TV just changing channels to find something. You see, the whole culture,
1: Nazis, deodorant salesmen, wrestlers, beauty contests, the talk show. Can you imagine the level of a mind that watches wrestling? Huh? But the worst are the fundamentalist preachers, third-rate conmen, telling the poor suckers that watch them that they speak for Jesus and to please send in money, 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 money. If Jesus came back and saw what's going on in his name, it would never stop growing
0: up. Oh, God, Frederick, could you please lighten up? Max was born in Sweden in 1929. He got into theater in high school. He worked with so many of the greats during his career, Igmar Bergman and uh, The Seventh Seal back in 1957. He, he would be nominated for two Oscars, two Golden Globes, two Emmys. And he died on March 8th of 2020. He was 90 years old at his, uh, it's a good run at his home in Provence, France. No cause was given. He is survived by his wife and four sons in August of this year. Many of the important names in flash Gordon spoke to radio times about Max's performance in the movie. And Mike Hodges, the director said, quote, he loved doing it. He was charming and funny and just relished the whole thing. I think it was a kind of relief for him because all of those other heavy roles he'd been playing must weigh upon you as an actor, unquote. Uh, Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Uh, Sam Jones, of course, had something to say. He said, uh, quote, he gave me some great professional pointers about making sure that after they do my close-up, when I'm feeding my lines to him or to anybody else, to make sure my performance is even better than it ever was before so you can really bring the very best of that other actor out.
1: Wow. Nice. Yeah, that is nice. Uh, You know, truly living for others, like help,
0: help me help you help the production. So perfect that he would be in flash Gordon and, and bring out the best of so many others. So what do you think, Brad? Did we, did we do the movie justice?
1: I, I think we did. I think we did. Steve,
0: I really encourage you to go watch the documentary. If you care about this movie, go watch the documentary
1: and that will inspire you to watch the movie again. Is what I did, and and you'll see things with new eyes that you hadn't yeah. noticed before, like the beadwork on Ming's costumes. It's incredible, and it's all hand sewn. I mean, it's yes. just nuts.
0: A lot of care went into making this movie. Consider it camp, if you will. Consider it a great homage to a, a comic strip legend.
1: Yeah, I think I'm going with Brian Blessed's interpretation because it fits. It's it, it. fits so well.
0: It's not camp. It's comic strip, and that's why Brad and I remain here, hopelessly stuck in the '80s. Long live Flash! You've saved your life. Have a nice day. Yeah! for everyone. for everyone. and of flash.
1: Stuck in the '80s is now on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com/slash Stuck in the '80s podcast. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music, and thanks for listening.